Well, wow. <laughs> well, goodness. Mm. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Well, well, well. <laughs> Good morning, Atlanta. Have I waited for you? Woo! <laughs> oh. Wow. I've been counting the days. I'm so glad to be here uh, with you. And um, I just think that this uh, Atlanta roundup, the 22nd, is just wonderful. Are you all enjoying yourselves? Are you having as much fun as I am? And don't you love that it says on this, we're all in this together. And I think in a way that kind of talks about the family disease of alcoholism. And I'm so glad to stand here uh, in front of you as an Al-Anon member. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. I have to calm down because I've been <laughs> looking forward to this. And I might just go off in different directions. And as I speak, I'll probably come up with little ideas. And I'll put them in parenthesis. And I'll let you know when I've gone off the track and we're in a parenthesis. And then we'll come back. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully we'll come back. <laughs> sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But it all just works out the way God wants it to. So let me begin at the, uh, by saying hi, everybody. My name is Jenny Hewitt. I am an Al-Anon from South Florida. Hi, Jenny. Oh, what a sound. Whoo, that sounds so good. And um, oh, I've also heard it said that I'm addicted to mood-altering, mind-changing men. <laughs> Well, they're, they're what got me here, so <laughs> bless their little hearts. Oh, my. <laughs> Where is Dennis? Is he back here? I've had some, oh, there he is, Dennis. I've had some AA members, you know, of all, some alcoholics that were my very own. <laughs> when you talked about having your very own Aladon member, well, so. Um, <laughs> Let me tell you that my home group, and I think it's very important to mention this, that uh, for me, that is the, the anchor of my recovery. My home group is Freedom to Grow, and I love that name. It's where I first walked into the room. It's the first meeting I walked into, and it meets on Wednesday mornings at 10.30 in the morning in a little town called Tequesta, named after a tribe of Indians which no longer exists, but that's another story, and um, in the northern part of Palm Beach County. And so I want you to know that, yes, I have this, um, this home group. Now, what a privilege to be with all of you. Oh, I have so much to, to share with you about Georgia. This, this uh, journey here began last fall in uh, Cook Forest, which is a beautiful national forest outside of, uh, well, in the Pittsburgh area. And uh, there, Johnny was speaking. And that's where I met Johnny and Ron G. And uh, Marcia was there. And we shared a wonderful weekend together. And then they were talking about this roundup in Atlanta. And, oh, you ought to come. You know, and I thought, yeah, well, you know, it's not easy to get up to Atlanta. It's so hard to get out of Florida. And, so, and suddenly, Marcia, here I am. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I can't get over that. That journey started in that forest, and here I am. And uh, I want to thank Marge and uh, the committee um, for this um, for your gracious invitation and your hospitality I have felt welcome from the very first and um, I think it's so amazing the way we all work together on these things and how it all comes together and the doors are open and the lights are on and the program is planned I'm getting off on a princess I can tell 
and I'm getting into service work and maximum service and things like that. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about, tell my story about what it was like. Somebody said I looked pale today and I said, don't put any rouge on me. I want them to see what they've done to me. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> So, you know, I look out here and this is really the best seat in the house. If you could see what I see, if you could see your beautiful faces, and I see my higher power in your faces and in your eyes and in the love that's out here in this room. And sometimes there's an emotion, like the emotion I was feeling when Cynthia uh, introduced me, and then the emotion I feel here. And I, I don't know how to express it. Um, it it's a word that, um, that I'm familiar with. It just, it's like glory. And I never have known how to express that. And then I talked to a hearing, an Al-Anon hearing impaired member, and she explained to me how to sign glory. And she said, glory is that feeling you get when uh, the, these emotions and this happiness just bubbles up and you don't know how to express it. And it just keeps coming right up to your heart and to your little fingertips. And then it just comes together like glory. And then it comes right out of your fingertips just like that. And that's the way I feel now. And for those of us that aren't going to be in the tennis tournament and haven't done our exercises or aerobics this morning, I thought perhaps we could warm up with a little glory. You don't have to stand. You don't have to stand. But you could do it like I do it. So I'll just say begin and then we'll just let those feelings bubble up bubble up bubble up here they come here they come and then they just come right out of our hearts and say glory and then you just sprinkle it you just sprinkle it on all the people next to you well glory glory that's a that's a glory moment that's a glory moment so uh <laughs> put myself back together after all that make sure I'm in place. I want to be perfect. I was perfect for the first half century of my life. Um, before I came into Al-Anon, sorry, my shoulder pads in place. <laughs> Are any of you old enough to remember when we wore those other things that we kind of tucked away so that we'd look more womanly? Do you remember those, you know, we have things up here and I used to wear things down here. Did any of you do that? Heads are nodding. You did? Oh, good. There were all kinds. And I remember once I got this kind that you... Oh, this is an Al-Anon tape. Do you think, you think I should be talking about these things? They had a straw. And it was, it was a plastic thing. And you could put this straw in. And you could uh, adjust your size. And, and they were the latest thing. And my problem was I got on the plane to go visit my grandmother in Philadelphia. And the pressurized air... <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, <laughs> I have to start at the very beginning, what it was like, <laughs> what happened, and what it's like now. <laughs> well, I was born a long, long time ago, 1934 B.C. That's before computers. I don't even use redial. I don't understand it. <laughs> I just don't understand it. And I was born in the Midwest, in Detroit, and I was born into a very loving uh, and supportive family. And um, uh, there wasn't alcoholism in, in that family. I had a father who uh, was very technically minded, and he sh assured me that any problem that ever came into my life, if I just put it in my head and thought about it, I was bright and I would be able to figure it out. I would be able to intellectualize it. And I was raised by a southern mama from Gainesville, Georgia. <laughs> Honey, her grandmother 
had gone to Brunel. Her mama had gone to Brunel. She had gone to Brunel. They, I, oh, it was, oh, I love those people. That's, I, I was, oh, well, princess, okay. This loving southern mother told me lots of things as I would sit at her knee. And she would tell me that I would finish high school, of course, and then go on to college, finish college. And then I would find someone who would love me and I would love him and he would make me happy and I would have the power to make him happy and we would be happy forever and ever and we would walk off into the, into the sunset years together happy. Those, those little things that I learned at my mother's knee, I like to call them mother's myths. <laughs> Later on in my life they caused a lot of mythery and a lot of misunderstanding. So. <laughs> So off I went. I didn't go to Bernal. I went to Michigan State. God was in his heaven and I was at Michigan State and I was learning all kinds of things. I was minoring in philosophy and I learned about these wonderful teachers and philosophers like uh, Nietzsche and Gandhi and Jesus and Aristotle. Aristotle was good. I thought they were all good. I couldn't really make up my mind. I didn't really stand for anything. Do you know if you've ever heard that, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? And I did. I did. I, well, no, I was a good girl. I want you to know that. I was a good girl. And, and you know, if you don't believe that, it doesn't matter because I have no control over what's in your head or your opinion of me. And it's not my business. I just tell you, I was a good girl. Believe it or not. Well, anyway, there we were out on the dance floor. I had graduated by now and was so terribly sophisticated. And out on the dance floor with this young Dutch engineer, and he whispered these words in my ear. He said, I need you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me you love me. Tell me you need me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and I could see his potential. What he needed was a good woman, me, just to take off some of those, take off some of those rough edges, and then everything would be perfect. And so we were married. <laughs> yes, we were married. And. Um, <laughs> And up the corporate ladder we climbed. Well, I could say he climbed. I was behind him, pushing all the way, just as hard, just as, hard and fast as I could, you know, just being the perfect corporate wife. And so um, by now I had several gods. I had uh, money. Money. Money was one of my gods. That was a good god because money could buy me stuff, and stuff was good. Stuff would make me happy, so money was good. Money, sex, oh, Oh, how I love to cause confusion. I mean, I was a married woman. But, you know, you just kind of look across the room. <laughs> just try to cause somebody to stumble. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh, here's a princess. I was, uh, my pastor was talking about lust. We're gonna, uh, did you have the meeting on relationships? Yes. Yes, well, here's something. I don't know if you've heard this or not. But if you struggle with lust, my pastor said, just lower your eyes. I never thought about that. Just don't look. I mean, that's so simple. So anyway, there I was. Just don't look. Money, sex, power. Power was good because then people would respect you and, and think well of you. And, and power was good. So those were my, uh, those were, uh, my gods at that time. And my husband and I really had a lot, a lot in common. We were both busy living his life. <laughs> <laughs> there were just one or two things that I thought ought to be straightened out and then I would be happy and, and he would be happy and we would be happy forever and ever, you know. And I thought if I could just make him happy, 
If I could just take away the stress. By now, we had two beautiful daughters, and we were living in Brussels, and uh, he was under tremendous stress because he had all these employees and speaking all these different languages and so forth. And, um, but I just thought I lived constantly in his head. Now I know it's very dark in there, but at the time I thought I knew, I knew everything, you know, that was going on. And I, I had no clue. I thought I knew what was going on in this man's mind, and I just wanted to change him. Now, is that too much to ask, just to change somebody? If any of you have ever been able to change another human being, <laughs> will you see me after this meeting? <laughs> Call me, area code 561-747-4885, and tell me how you did it, because I've never been able to do it, but at least now I know it's not my job. That, uh... So anyway, living in Brussels, we were in the fast lane, and alcohol was in everything, because he was, as I said, this was Europe, and everybody had champagne and wine and so forth, and uh, he was under stress, and so of course he had... Uh, two martinis when he came in at night and then we would have wine with dinner and then afterwards there's nothing like a good cognac and a good cigar and then that poor man that dear man who was so stressed would be able to just kind of relax in his chair and drift off into sleep <laughs> he was passed out <laughs> I didn't see that I didn't see that my uh my higher power was passed out. I just thought that this is the way, you know, and he was my higher power. Oh, yes, of course, I could tell what kind of day I was going to have by the way he said good morning. And I just thought that everybody had wine merchants who came to the house and that everybody bought wine by the half barrel and then the little little uh, elves would come with these casts on their shoulders and take them down into the wine cob, and I just thought this was part of life. So anyway, um, there he was, my higher power. And I want to say that our first um, tradition in our in that home. We were all walking around on eggshells. We didn't want to make daddy angry. We didn't want to upset daddy, you know. And so there was no common welfare. And I know now that that's, uh, that's a pretty, a very uh, difficult way to live. Uh, and I was exhausted because I was a translator for 23 years. I don't know if any of you have ever acted as a translator where you stand between the parent and the child. And you say to the, to the parent, now darling, the girls really do love you. What they meant when they said that was, and then I would turn to the father and say, ah, but don't be angry with them there. They are trying. They told me this and this and that, and I, and I went on and on, and was in the middle. What an exhausting place to be. So there I was, a translator for 23 years. Yes, yes. And could I have been in denial? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> well, uh, but at one point, uh, when our daughters were teenagers, they came to me and they said, do you think Dad's an alcoholic? And I said, why, no. I had seen days of wine and roses in Lost Weekend. I knew what alcoholics were like. And alcoholics didn't have 2,000 employees and they didn't speak six languages. I knew that. And anyway, I would never have married an alcoholic. Denial, denial, denial. Did you hear, Princess, did you hear about the Al-Anon who was in hell? She said, I know I'm in hell, but it's not hot. It's not hot. <laughs> I don't want to forget to tell you that uh, uh, at Michigan State, my senior year, the uh, uh, drama department did the production of George Bernard Shaw's Caesar and Cleopatra, and guess who played Cleopatra, Queen of Denial? <laughs> oh, 
well, so the years passed, and I must say they were years of confusion. I mean, I was totally baffled, and uh, really, I thought my unhappiness was too great to be lessened, and I was a slave to my emotions. I don't suppose any of you have ever been a slave to your emotions. You know, you've never slammed a kitchen cupboard door or stomped down the hall to your room and then slammed your bedroom door and thrown yourself on the bed, grasping your pillow and sobbing, 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 waiting for the door to open and his voice to say, Oh, beloved, I was wrong, wrong. <laughs> unhappy. I knew divorce was out of the question. I mean, nobody in Gainesville, Georgia in my family had ever divorced, and nobody in Philadelphia had ever divorced, and, and I could not divorce. I couldn't do that. That would be absolutely impossible. <laughs> Murder was a possibility. <laughs> Quick, it's neat, done. It's done. So we'd be out there on the North Sea, and we'd be sailing along, you know, and and uh, I didn't understand sailing. I would just sit there and count my resentments, you know, and watch him. And he'd be leaping all over the boat and pulling up things and winding winch winches or wrenches. I never have known. Well, anyway, doing whatever things, yeah, whatever people do on boats. And I was sitting there just counting my resentments and looking at him and thinking, oh, ho, ho, how easy it would be. I'd look out there on the horizon on the North Sea, not another sail in sight, just the two of us on the boat. And I thought, to get rid of my problems all, and make myself happy, the only thing I'd have to do is go, oh, 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 you fell overboard. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, oh look, you're wet. Oh, well, um, are, you, are you cold? Oh, yes. Would you, would you like me to sail back to you? Uh-huh. Just how do you do that? crazy crazy and the only thing I laugh I laugh now because I'm not that person and I have other eyes other vision and I see this man as a child of God who was in the throes of a terminal a deadly disease and I didn't see it and I know now that he loved me the best way he could and it wasn't enough for me I wanted to be loved the way I wanted to be loved and he was doing the best he could and it wasn't enough and I couldn't accept what he was capable of giving he had a love in his life, and it was alcohol. And I could never be number one in his life, but I couldn't understand that. Oh, how I wanted him to change. You know the serenity prayer that we said at the beginning of this beautiful meeting? The way I have to say it is, God grant me the serenity to accept you just as you are, and the courage to change myself, and the wisdom to know that's all I can do. That's all I can do. So I'll go. I'll stay. No, I'm going to go. No, I'm going to stay. All these thoughts in my head. I'll go, I'll stay, I'll go, I'll stay. You ever had to make a decision like that and you can't seem to, to get to that point? Well, he lost his job. It's a downward spiral, isn't it, this disease? Of course, he explained to me that it was a family company and it was all political. <laughs> and we moved back to America. And we were down in Florida in northern Palm Beach County. And I remember um, I was out in the middle of Florida uh, at a little place called Yeehaw Junction. 
And I was sitting there looking into the bottom of my coffee cup, and this voice said to me so clearly, you can leave now. And this sense of serenity came over me. You know how you feel when you finally make that decision. Right or wrong, at least there's a decision and you can see beyond this, I will, I won't, I will, I won't. And so I packed up my, uh, uh, started divorce proceedings, and we had gone to a, um, we had actually, we had gone to uh, a marriage counselor. And this is one reason why the work of on the uh, cooperating with the professional community committee is so important to me. CPC work is so important because we were seeing a professional and never once did he say, tell me about the role that chemicals play in your marriage or what role does alcohol play in your marriage? He never asked that. So there I was, packed up everything, took me right with me, moved into a little bachelorette apartment in Palm Beach and I thought, right. Now I'm going to be happy, and, um, and I'll just look around, and I'll find somebody to make happy, and then we'll be happy forever. I changed. My thinking was still the same. What a shock. I remember when, after a few months, it dawned on me that I was away from this man who was responsible for all my misery, and I still wasn't happy. And now I know that happiness is an inside job. No human power could have made me happy. What I needed was a personal higher power, and I didn't see that. So there I was, uh, trying to find somebody else I could make happy, just kind of looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Won't tell you where I looked, but there I was. <laughs> yes, yes. <clears throat> so I attended, in that town, I attended the best church and supported the best charities, and I did all the things, the perfect little things. Remember, I'm perfect, hadn't changed, still perfect. Did all the things I was supposed to do, and I traveled around in Europe and took some trips here and there, looking for love. Mm -hmm. Well, one time I came back from Europe, this was about two years after the divorce, and I was sitting in Palm Beach International Airport and my escort was late in picking me up and I was just kind of looking at people. Do you ever do that when you're in an airport or something? You know, you think, oh, is he a good father or she looks like a nurse or are they a happy family and what did they do? And I looked over in the corner and I saw this great big man standing over there and he was being hugged by two other big men and they were just slapping him on the back and they were so glad to see him and I thought, woo-hoo. He is the cutest thing I have ever seen. And I thought, oh, I'll bet he's married or homosexual. You know. <laughs> what are your chances, you know? What are your chances? Oh. And he, got, he, he uh, moved away from those men and he came toward me. And I, well, the walls went up. I mean, good heavens, you don't talk to strangers in airports. And, and he came over to me, and this great, big, uh, sophisticated man looked right into my eyes, and he said, haven't I met you somewhere before? <laughs> tacky, tacky, tacky. Oh. But then he said, now, if you ever want to meet anybody, anywhere, try this. He said, aren't you in a prayer group in the north of the county? And I thought... Prayer group, prayer group, that's got to have something to do with church. So he can't be a serial killer, you know. He's got to... <laughs> and uh, and he, he was intriguing. And, uh, uh, and so I gave him my business card. And I was doing all this kind of mundane stuff. And all the time, God was shining his face upon me in Palm Beach International Airport. 
And I, I didn't know that. And why wouldn't he do that? With all these people moving around, God can do that if he wants to. He could give me a gift if he wanted to through his grace. I didn't know what grace was. I didn't know anything at that time. I'm just talking to this handsome stranger and giving, me, giving him my business card. I didn't know he was going to be in my life or be my service sponsor when I didn't even know what a service sponsor was. But God, right there at that time when I wasn't even looking for it, brought Bill into my life. And he's here now. And I wish you would stand, love. Would you stand and say hello? night here in the hotel we celebrated Bill's 80th birthday and he's got 34 years in the program of AA. right well we won't say that so anyway um, and so I gave him my card and he did call and I invited him to my home for dinner my little bachelorette apartment which was perfect and the table was set perfectly and we were going to go to the symphony after dinner and had the little wine glasses out and the candles and Bill walked into the apartment and he said uh, he said right away he said Jenny he said I want you to there's something I want you to know he said I'm a recovering alcoholic and I don't drink I thought alcoholic Alcoholic? I'm alone here. I'm going to be attacked. Attacked. <laughs> and then, and then, without missing a beat, I thought, doesn't drink. Well, he can't be any fun. <laughs> Who is sick in this situation? <laughs> oh, so, so we did, we did date, and and uh, and Bill. The, one of the first things also that he did was invite me to uh, a clubhouse where he said he was going to give his AA talk. And I thought, you mean be in the room with other alcoholics? I thought, well, Bill is big, and he'll protect me in case those people try to attack me. Listen, I was sick. And I wasn't, I wasn't misinformed. I was just uninformed. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. But that was the day when, when I found out. We walked into this clubhouse. Everybody was sitting there around tables, just like we're sitting here today, you know. And I thought, uh-huh, well, this, this, they look nice. And I thought, where are the alcoholics? <laughs> I thought, well, I, I, be, I know. Those doors back there are going to open and they'll be lying there on their cots. <laughs> tubes, tubes coming out of every orifice. I knew that. <laughs> and it didn't go like that. Bill went to the podium and he began to talk and he began to say things the likes of which I had never heard. Now, I was raised in a loving family, remember that. Uh, but he talked about things that we didn't talk about, that we would never have talked about. And, and he, he spoke with, uh, with this um, joy about it all. And, and he just laid out these dreadful things. And, and people were just laughing away, you know. And he'd say things like, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, when I was in the Canary Islands, I had the best tan of anybody on the islands, he said, because every day I'd go down to the beach. Some days I'd pass out face down, and some days I'd pass out face up. Ha, 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 you know. <laughs> but then I began to realize that there was something in that room that was going on. And I, I began to feel like I was in a church that was more church than my church. 
and I began to hear the brush of angels' wings. Something was moving in that little smoke-filled, dingy little room. There was something going on. And by the time we left there, I knew I wanted to hang with you guys. I liked being with these people, this non-judgmental. And I was, I was loved, you know, but if I got good marks, I might be loved a little bit more. <laughs> or married a tall person, you know, things like that that counted. So, uh, <laughs> so there I was. It was my first exposure to non-judgmental acceptance. You all gave it to me, and I wanted to hang with you. And so we courted, and we dated in open AA meetings. And um, I think it's important for me to say at some time while we were dating, it began to dawn on me that Bill was the same at the end of the evening as he was at the beginning of the evening, which was very unusual for the men I had been dating. <laughs> he hadn't taken any mood-altering drugs of any kind. And I thought, well, shoot, if he's not going to have wine or whatever or change, I'm not going to eat it, so I just stopped drinking. I don't know when it happened. doesn't matter. But I think it's important to point out that Al-Anon doesn't care if you drink or not. You just come on in to the Al-Anon meeting, take a seat, and uh, you'll just figure it out. So, I mean, if you, if you come in there and you're just, or even now, today, if you're just sitting on a hip flask as an Al-Anon member, or you got something up in your room, you know, that's getting chilled, and you wish I'd hurry up and finish so you can get back to your margaritas or whatever, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. We don't ask. We just say, come on in, sit down. You'll figure out where you belong. And I love that about Al-Anon. So just come on in and sit down. So, um... That's what I, that was my first uh, um, exposure to that, uh, to the feelings in the rooms. And as I say, we dated in the rooms. Uh, we went to these open meetings and just had a wonderful time. Uh, and I could see this joy in Bill, this enthusiasm. And I, I uh, asked him about it. I, uh, the Greek uh, for enthu is entheos. It's God in you. And I asked Bill about this enthusiasm. How could he be so joyful? I mean, for heaven's sakes, the man had uh, overcome alcoholism. He'd been... Uh, shot out of the sky in a B-17 and burned and, and um, captured by the Germans and hidden in a hay, escaped hidden in a haystack in a Belgian farmhouse and I mean and raised in an alcoholic uh, with a, with an alcoholic father and yet he had this joy and I said well what what is this and he said well he said why don't you come to my church and I thought oh okay I could you remember I'd been at that good church so I thought well I can go to Bill's church and see what this is all about. And we were driving along, and he, I was really in love with him by then. He was so cute. And he said, um, now, Jenny, he said, there's something I want to tell you about my church. He said, we clap our hands. Oh, I thought, tacky, tacky, tacky. <laughs> you, you make noise in church? You know, I mean, I've been, I've been used to those churches uh, where you sit and you, and you don't say anything to anybody. And I would just fold my hands, and I'd look down at them, and, and I'd just think about how naughty I'd been all week. <laughs> and I walked into Bill's church, and they were just clapping their hands, and these choruses were on the wall, and they were singing and hugging each other. And I thought, boy, this is good. Is this what it's all about? Is it about about joy. I like that. I like that. And I started going to his church. Bill says, Bill says he rescued me from the frozen chosen. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. So, uh, it, so there I, I, I began to feel a stirring and a hunger for a personal God. I just didn't know how to find him or, or get closer to him. But, but I sensed that there was something in that church. And, and have you ever heard that old hymn? He was there all the time. He was there all the time, patiently waiting in line. 
waiting for me to get through money and sex and power, waiting for all those other gods. He was there all the time. And I didn't see him. Still hadn't changed. Remember that. So um, uh, I talked about this. Um, these teenage daughters remind me now. Don't let me forget before I sit down to tell you more about them. Remember, they were so concerned about their father's drinking. So remind me to tell you more about them later on. Don't let me sit down until I do that now. So now, even in the best of relationships, lover's quarrels can happen. And boy, we had a doozy. I mean, the tires were screeching and the, we were backing out of the driveway to see who could get away from each other the fastest. And just, it was terrible. And I found, found myself back in the bedroom of my little perfect bachelorette apartment, hugging another damp pillow <laughs> and crying and sobbing about, well, what are we going to do about this? Or what are you going to do about it? And then it was, what are we going to do about it? And uh, I began to realize that, my goodness, there I was. I was praying. Uh, to a higher power and I had given him a personal name. I had never done that before. Um, I, I can't tell you uh, his personal name because he's not conference approved. Uh, but, but his father is. So I let go of Bill. I knew I had to, and I let go, totally let go of Bill. Well, briefly. <laughs> and we were married. Oh, isn't that amazing? And I packed up my cosmetics and my lingerie. My character defects still hadn't changed. Moved right into Bill's little bachelor pad up there in Tequesta, and I thought, right, this marriage is not going to fail. And I was on that man like a duck on a June bug. I knew what time he got up. I knew what time he went to bed. I knew what he ought to say, what he ought to do, what he ought to wear, what he ought to think. I knew all those things. I didn't know who I was. I, didn't, I couldn't tell you my favorite color. I knew his favorite color. I knew where he liked to have dinner. I, I had no clue as to who Jenny was. Absolutely none. Other than Margaret and Irving's daughter and Clarissa and Julia's mother and Bill's wife or something. But who I was as a child of God was uh, beyond me and I was just um, uh, like a little donut with a hole in the middle empty just an empty little donut but so uh, oh I don't want to forget to tell you three months after we were married my first husband walked into the clubhouse and joined Alcoholics Anonymous my husband of 23 years the father of my children joined AA isn't that remarkable I thought is that what it was I couldn't see it not me mm -mm. denial 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 so um, my smother love with poor Bill got so bad how bad was it how, my smother love with Bill got so bad <laughs> I would attend his AA meetings with him and I would sit next to him he had over 20 some years by now and I'd sit next to him and if something good was said I'd just poke him you know so he wouldn't miss it. And it was bad. It was bad. Makes me laugh because she's not, you know, she's gone, that woman. She's gone. But anyway, and these sweet ladies would come over to me and, they'd, and they knew my situation. They knew what was going on. They knew that I had been married to 
a man I would see drink and I didn't know he was an alcoholic and now I'm married to a man that I know is an alcoholic and I've never seen him take a drink and they'd say now Jenny we're going to our Al-Anon meeting uh, over there in that room would you like to go across the hall and come to oh no I'm here with Bill <laughs> Bill needs me <laughs> oh, so uh, but uh, it, it got so bad one day Bill said he said Jenny he said why don't you try some of those Al-Anon meetings? He said, those ladies need you. <laughs> yes, I could do that. You know, I could get over there, go to those meetings. <laughs> go to those meetings, fix those people up. I bet, you know, in six months, maybe some were tough cases, take me about a year, then I could get right back to those uh, open AA meetings with <laughs> So on January, um, on January, uh, I think he just wanted his very own Al-Anon member. On January 2nd, 1985, I walked into my first meeting, into the Rooms of Freedom to Grow, and I like to think that that was the day that God very gently put his foot in the door of my mind and let in just a little light, just a little light, so that I could see that my thinking was never going to change my thinking. I needed your thinking. I could stew about everything all I wanted to and until I got with you and could hear your thinking and hear your experience, strength and hope, there was no way I was going to change. And so you told me I could set down the heavy responsibilities I'd been carrying around. <laughs> you told me there is a God and he's not you, Jenny. <laughs> all those people, places and things I'd felt so responsible for and you told me that I didn't have to be concerned about that anymore and that all I had to do was keep the focus on me. And I remember little Olive, she's dead now, but she reached over, a little gray-haired lady, and I thought, why is she sitting next to me? You know, we don't have anything in common. And she reached over and took my hand and she patted it and I looked down at her little, little wrinkled, veiny hand with brown spots, looks just like mine does now. <laughs> and then she said, you just keep coming back, honey. <laughs> And I did. I don't know why or how, but I did. I kept coming back. And um, I began to clear up. And I think that those first uh, three steps helped to clear up my head. My head was very foggy. Can you tell by what I'm saying? I think I began to clear up with those first three steps. And then step four through nine helped me to clean up. And, uh, and, and then uh, 10 through 12, they helped me to grow up, to grow up and reach some maturity and find out, as I say, who, who I am. Um, and um, we have, we, oh, did I bring that book? Could I have that uh, bag, that bag, um, let's see, where, yes, yeah, thank you. Just a little break for you listening on tape. I went over and got my book. <laughs> Pulling it out. Yes. We have this wonderful book called From Survival to Recovery. And on page 269 are what I call the gifts. You know, we've been saying in Al-Anon, well, when are we going to get our own promises? And we would write letters. And I know Barbara, who I had the joy of serving with at the conference, works on the literature committee. And this literature committee would send back these answers from the World Service Office. And they'd say, you'll get your promises when you write them. <laughs> so they put the responsibility... <laughs> 
That's the way they talk at our, I don't know about you, but that's the, that's the kind of answer you get from the world. Well, perhaps you'd like to, you know, never a direct answer. I want them to tell us, but here they are, and they're on page 269. They're not numbered, but there are 12 of them, and they are absolutely uh, beautiful. And the one I wanted to talk about here was, um, let's see, oh, I know. Uh, our sight, once clouded and confused, will clear. Remember I said those first three steps helped me clear up? We'll clear and we will be able to perceive reality and recognize truth. I was not living uh, in reality and recognize truth. We'll be able to see. I once was blind, but now I see. And another one of these says, courage and fellowship will replace fear. And I began to sense fellowship with those, with those people in the rooms. Our secrets will no longer bind us in shame. Oh, those secrets that you couldn't tell anybody. And I remember telling my sponsor in my, doing my fifth step, and I would say things, you know, and, and she didn't throw up or fall off her chair or take away my Al-Anon card. Oh, I'm so glad they can't. It's promised in the warranties. You can never get rid of me. I'm an Al-Anon member. You can't take away my card. But anyway, are those things that will no longer bind me in shame. So, um, I think, too, it talks about being able to find our gifts. Don't you know the, can you imagine the gifts that we used to put this uh, um, roundup on? Think about that. Betsy doing her decorations, and Marge and Donna and Jenny sitting behind the registration table, and uh, Charles, is, yeah, Charles and Jack doing the taping. That's a lot of work. Who, puts, who does all this? We do. We, you can, these fellowships can use our talents, however small. I remember the first time you asked me to do something. You asked me to bring the cookies. That was my first service job. And you said, Jenny, will you bring the cookies next week? And I said, well, sure, you know. Um, uh, what, what, what kind of cookies? And uh, where should I get the cookies? And how many should I buy? Do you get cookies with uh, nuts? Or do you, do you get cookies with raisins? Does this group um, have a cookie platter? Have you got any doilies? Oh. You said, Jenny, will you just get the cookies? We trust you. That was amazing. You trusted me to do that. And I got the cookies. And the whole time I was buying the cookies, I wasn't thinking about him. You know, he like this. I was thinking about the cookies, and I was thinking about the group. And after you had the cookies, you didn't say, yuck, yuck. who brought those cookies? You know, you didn't say that. You said, oh, good, thank you. And I began to trust. It was absolutely amazing. And our fellowships can use our talents. All of us can, be, can do all these jobs. And if we, if we get mixed up and don't know how to do them, oh, I'm getting into a princess on service. I know I am. I've got to get back to where I was. I know I am. So, um, oh, step three. You know when I came to that step three and it said, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Well, I tell three little froggies sitting on a bench. Have you heard that story? Maybe there's someone that hasn't. Don't tell them the answer now. Okay. Now, there are three little froggies and they're sitting on a bench. No, a log. Let's say a log. Log. Yeah, frogs sit on logs. We sit on benches. Frogs sit on logs. Three, three little froggies just sitting on a log. And one of them made a decision to jump off. How many froggies are left? Three, because he just made a decision. He didn't jump. He didn't jump. It doesn't say made a decision and turned my will and my life over to the care of God. Read those steps. Aren't they wonderful? Every little word is so precious. When did I make that decision? I don't know. How do you know you made it? Because it said so in the 12th step. What do you mean it says in the 12th step? It says having had a spiritual awakening as the result, not as a result, a spiritual awakening is the result of these steps. That's the same in, a, in Alcoholics Anonymous as it, is, as it is in Al-Anon. When does it happen? Don't know. How did it happen? 
We're not going through the steps. What step was it? Can't tell you. Just went through all those steps. <laughs> Got to that 12th step. There I am. I was. Um, uh, I began to improve my conscious contact because it's just a part of the. Um, it's a part of the of the recovery. You know, you get a sponsor and you get a home group and you get involved and you and you begin to give back some of the things that were. I began to give back some of the things that were given to me, and um, I had to keep the focus on myself and I had to say, you taught me that. Put down the magnifying glass. Had it in my hand. Oh, I could see what you needed. Oh, yes, I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but you said, put that down, pick up the mirror, keep the focus on yourself. So every day I have to stand in front of my mirror and I have to start with the Al Anon warm up. <laughs> me, 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 me. I, 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 I. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. Anytime I say he, she, it, you, I am in such sununu, I don't know what I'm talking about. So, me, 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 I, I, I. Got to keep that focus on myself, and I need to do that. <laughs> I need to do that. And I would just watch you, and I would watch to see if you kind of uh, walked out your talk. It's easy to talk, but are you walking the walk? And I would watch to see how you did that, and I wanted to become like you. Albert Schweitzer said, uh, only those among you who have served will ever be totally happy. And I wanted to be a servant. Make me like you. Please make me like you. I'm going to change the words of this little song a bit. Higher power, you are a servant. Make me one too. I am willing to do what you must do to make me like you. Please make me like you. So that's what I'm striving for now is to, um, to, to get to that point where... Uh, I don't think I'm never going to get to any point. I think it's a journey. Don't you think it's a journey? I, I don't think I'm ever going to get there. I just, I, you, uh, but I do know this. One more little thing about service. I use the meetings for my recovery. Um, oh, no, for my serenity. The meetings are for my serenity, to be with all of you and have that corporate recovery. But service is where my real growth comes. It's in service. You, got, I, you probably have that point. You, you know how strongly I feel about that. So anyway, and I don't have to understand God's infinite wisdom that we talk about. Uh, I just have to, ex- in the serenity prayer, I just have to accept him. I know it's not a head trip anymore. I was always in my head. It's a heart trip. And what we speak here in these rooms is the language of love. I can sit next to you. I can sit next to, uh, let's see, Lori. Lori, I could sit, we could sit and have coffee, and I know, Lori, I could tell you things I can't. I have not spoken of with my sister. First of all, I, I wouldn't want her to know, or she, she wouldn't be able to accept it or understand me, but I know you would, and that is the language of the heart, and I think that's, that's, what we're, that's what we have a chance to share with here, is the language of the heart, and improve our conscious contact. So, um, let's see, I don't have to understand, Al-Anon has not, it's, it's not Al-Anon's business to prove the existence of God, uh, religion does that. What the Al-Anon program has taught me is my need for God. There's a tremendous difference. We're not out here to prove that God exists. It's just that Jenny needs God in her life. And what a wonderful thing to think that Bill, this is really major. Bill does not need me. I thought he did. Not really. He needs God in his life. And then these other things follow. And, that, and my daughters, they don't need mama in their lives to fix everything. They are children of God. I have to allow them the dignity to walk out God's plan in their lives. They need God in their lives. So I'm, I'm growing up slowly, slowly, slowly. And um, 
So about that, that um, the idea that Al-Anon proves my need for God, that he is my rock. And as I said, what you think of me won't matter. It's what does he think of me. That's what matters. And so I began to grow. And as I say, I had to keep the focus on myself, the three eyes. I had to take the blueprint for progress and, um, and take my inventory and find my identity before I could protect my integrity. And that integrity, boundaries, what does that mean? I'm going to tell you about the first time I did that. And it was so, it was so strange to me. Uh, when I realized after it was all over, goodness, I've drawn a boundary. <laughs> I had, um, this was early on, you know, but I'm getting better in the program and I'm beginning to listen to, listen to things. And I, I know that I, who, I'm beginning to know who I am as a child of God. And I had fixed um, a fish dinner. Um, I, I don't make cookies and biscuits and things like that. I make reservations usually. <laughs> but I had, fixed, I had worked hard fixing um, a fish dinner. It was flounder, and I had set the table perfectly. On the, well, not as perfectly as it had been before. I'm getting better now. On the patio, and uh, Bill came. I called him to the table, and he came and sat down, and uh, we started to eat. And um, I was eating my fish, and, and he cut into his fish, and then I heard a voice. And it wasn't just any voice. It was his voice. And he said, the fish is cold. The fish is cold? The fish is cold? Those words went right into my heart. His voice, the fish is cold. The fish is cold? He thinks the fish is cold. I didn't do this perfectly. Okay, okay, he thinks, now think, don't say anything. Don't, don't look at him, don't look at him. Think, what'd they say at the meetings? Okay, what'd they say in the meetings? Uh, what was that? Oh no, in the forum, in the forum, they had that little stopper. What did it say, what did it say? It said, um, it said, don't just do something, stand there. Okay, don't look at him, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Think, 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 so, okay, think, now, now, okay, now, what is it, they, they said, um, they said, if it's not a question, was that a question? No, that wasn't a question. Do you have to answer that? No, it wasn't a question. Don't answer it. Okay. What was that? That, uh, that? that was an opinion. That was an opinion. Are opinions facts? No, no. Opinions aren't facts. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, they're just opinions. He thinks his fish is cold. His fish may be cold. He thinks his fish is cold. It, it may be cold. My fish isn't cold. Okay. Mine isn't. Now, what, uh, let's see, concept, concept three, what does that say? It says, uh, the right of decision makes effective leadership possible. Yes, who's the leader? Who's the leader? Uh, who cooked the fish? I cooked the fish. You're the leader. Okay, I'm the leader. I have the right of decision. Effective leadership. I have the right of decision. Okay, who cooked the, uh, let's see, concept ten, double-headed management is to be avoided. Okay, who cooked the dinner? I did, he didn't, and so I turned to him and I said, oh. <laughs> But I remembered, I remembered that Al-Anon, oh, the oh, 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 or try this, try this, if you're ever in the same situation, you could be right. <laughs> well, that certainly bears thinking about. <laughs> What's it like today? Well, <laughs> I know that Bill's happiness has to come from within him. I don't have the power. Remember, I'm not God. So what's it like today? Well, um, let's see. Um, 
About almost eight years ago, Parkinson's knocked at the door of our lives and came in to stay. And uh, we take it one day at a time. You're, this beautiful program has taught us to do that. And that regardless of what's going on in our lives, we can still lead lives of dignity and serenity. And we can still get to meetings and still sponsor. And uh, um, uh, little weak muscles don't really matter. As I said, it's, it's that heart trip. It's, it's that wonderful spirit. It's that wonderful uh, spiritual growth that we've had in the programs that allow us to... Um, to uh, move through this and as I say take it one day at a time just one day at a time and you reminded me about Parkinson's when I came to you in the groups and you said you didn't cause it you can't cure it you can't control it and you said let go and you sang me a wonderful little song let go let go it's easy once you know you never could you never would let go let go let go let go let go it's easy once you know you never could you never would let go let go let go <laughs> and so <laughs> i have let go and placed God, uh, bill in god's hands as meth something he was there all the time anyway so <laughs> dear and so we have uh, I can allow Bill the dignity of walking out God's God's plan in his life and I know that I'm responsible to Bill I'm not responsible for him I'm not going to ask him you know when we're having lunch after this is all over I'm not going to say did you take your medicine today I'm not going to I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not oh dear so oh 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 and I want to talk to you about about my beautiful uh, daughters. Remember those teenage daughters? Don't let me forget to tell you. Well, um, they came into Al-Anon, but uh, over five years ago, almost six years ago now, they went through the back door of Al-Anon uh, into the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're here today. Uh, Clarissa from Philadelphia and Julia from Washington, would you please stand? We just, um, so anyway, um, uh, <laughs> what's the question? Sometimes I get confused. If I've jumped around, well, hey, that's all right. I was doing the best I could. I asked God to give me the words to say, what's the question? God's the answer. Whatever it is. What'd she say? I don't know, but God's the answer. <laughs> what does this all boil down to? God's the answer. What's the question? What's the question? And um, Jenny is Jenny's problem. That, that's what my program has, has come down to. You can really make it very succinct, can't you? Jenny is Jenny's problem, four little words. And uh, something beautiful, something good. When I came into these rooms, all my confusion, you understood. All I had to offer you was brokenness and strife. And you, God speaking through Al-Anon, made something beautiful um, out of my life. So in closing, I would like to say that the opinions expressed here... <laughs> <coughs> I don't, I don't know. There may be some of you, are there some of you that, uh, I meant to ask this at the beginning, that have never attended an Al-Anon meeting or never, you can say it, you're safe. In, in, no, no, yes, all right, I'm going to speak to you. Okay, at every meeting, at every meeting we say this beautiful closing. And um, so I'll just share it now. And uh, these beautiful words are, are so meaningful to me. In closing, I would like to say that the opinions expressed here, I'm going to put in some parentheses were strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you liked and leave the rest. If you didn't like the way I laughed at my own jokes, 
if you didn't like the way my hair was combed or the way I stood or what I said about Alcoholics Anonymous or this or that, leave it here. Don't worry about it. If you heard any joy or love or something positive, take that word with you when you leave here. And when you're all by yourself and your head's on your little pillow tonight, you just think about that. Let the other stuff go. How important is it? Take what you liked and leave the rest. The things you heard were spoken in confidence and should be treated as confidential. Keep them within the walls of this room and the confines of your mind. A few special words to those of you who haven't been with us long. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If you try to keep an open mind, remember I said God put his foot in the door of my mind. If you try to keep an open mind, you will find help. You'll come to realize that there's no problem too difficult to be lessened. No, no problem too difficult to be handled, mattered, improved. Better. No problem too difficult to be better. No unhappiness too great to be lessened. And here come my three favorite words. I listen for them in every meeting. We aren't perfect. Oh, glory. The welcome we give you may not show the warmth we have in our hearts for you. But after a while, you'll discover that though you may not like all of us, you'll love us in a very special way, the same way we already love you. So talk to each other and reason things out with someone else, but let there be no gossip or criticism of one another. I thought that gossip meant talking ugly about um, somebody or being malicious, but I've learned in this program that what it means is for me to talk to someone else about a third party. And what works in our family is for when my daughter Clarissa calls me, I talk to Clarissa about Clarissa and I don't talk to her about Julia. And when Julia calls me, I talk to Julia about Julia. And I don't bring in these other people, places, and things. Uh, uh, so let there be no gossip or criticism. In, uh, instead, let the understanding, love, and peace of the program grow in you one day at a time. Now, I have this feeling coming up again. And I tell you, that if, my, if there are tears in my eyes, it's not... It's not because I'm leaving you now, and I have to speak very slowly because I don't really want to sit down. I want to just keep looking at your faces. It's not because I'm leaving you, but it's because I was here with you in Atlanta, in Georgia, and I thank you for that opportunity. Thank you. <laughs>